Hello, my name is Dr. Tim Claridge. I head the NMR facility in support of chemical biology and organic chemistry in the chemistry department at the University of Oxford. I'd like to introduce to you today the technique of nuclear magnetic resonance spectroscopy or NMR spectroscopy. It's one of the primary tools that chemists use for understanding the structures of their molecules and how these molecules interact with other molecules. The technique itself relies on the behaviour of nuclei that sit at the centre of the atoms that make up the molecules we wish to study. Essentially, what we do is take the molecules we wish to understand the structures of, we place them in a solution in a very intense magnetic field, we give them some energy in the form of a radio frequency wave, and that excites the nuclei and causes them to give a signal back to us that we can then record, detect and interpret in uh, the shape of a chemical structure. So the nuclei at the heart of our atoms we can imagine them behaving as small microscopic bar magnets. When these magnets are placed in a very intense static magnetic field, they will tend to align themselves with that field, much like a compass needle would do in the Earth's magnetic field. Now that's a low energy state where they like to be. When we're given this pulse of radio frequency energy, those nuclei, the nuclear spins as we refer to them, will flip upside down. That places them in a high energy state where they don't like to be. They will then go through a process known as relaxation, they will realign themselves with the magnetic field as they originally were. Now through that relaxation process, they will retransmit radio waves, very weak radio waves, that we then detect and use that signal to tell us about the chemical structure. What I'd like to show you is some of the elements of the NMR spectrometer and tell you a little bit about how they work and how they give us the information that chemists find so valuable in terms of deducing chemical structures themselves. Typically what we would do would take a small amount of compound and dissolve it in a small amount of solvent to make a solution for study. So here's one we wish to study. What we would do is take this sample and place it inside the magnetic field. So as we've just seen, we take our sample and we place it in a magnetic field as the robot did just for us. So that sample we've placed inside now sits at the very bottom of this can, the strongest part of the magnetic field. And typically the fields we use are around 10,000 times the strength of the Earth's natural magnetic field. So very intense fields. Generally the stronger the better for the science that we wish to do. So the magnet itself is made up of many, many kilometers of a special wire known as superconducting wire. I have an example I can show you here. They're made up of very fine filaments of an alloy which, when running at very low temperatures, has a state known as superconductivity. What we mean by that is that under these conditions, the wire has almost zero electrical resistance, which means we can put very large currents into that wire and therefore generate very intense magnetic fields. Now the key to this is keeping this wire at a very low temperature. And by low temperatures, we mean around about 4 Kelvin, or minus 269 degrees C. So the solenoid magnet made up from this wire sits inside this can in a pool of liquid helium at that very, very low temperature. And we have to keep it into that conditions to make sure it stays in this superconducting state. Now, most of the can we see here is actually full of the cryogenics that keeps that assembly cold. So our, our vat of liquid helium in which our magnet sits is surrounded by a vacuum chamber, which itself is surrounded by a vat of liquid nitrogen. That itself is surrounded by another vacuum chamber and this stops the magnet uh, warming up 
holds it at that very low temperature for very long periods of time. Now the cryogens themselves are topped up, the vents at the top of the magnets are used for that and we refill the helium and refill the nitrogen on a regular basis to keep that whole assembly cold. It's a very cryogenically efficient assembly and needs to be looked after to maintain the magnetic field that we need to do our science. So when the sample for analysis has descended into the magnet, it sits down, as I've said, at the very centre of the magnetic field, and we need some way of introducing radio frequency energy into that sample. And we do that with this apparatus known as a probe head. Now this probe head, the top of this sits in the very centre of the magnetic field. The sample descends to meet the top of this probe head. So if you look closely, we can see at the top here, we have some very small coils in which our sample tube will descend and sit. Now these coils are used for transmitting the radio frequency wave that we generate and pass into the sample. And they're also used for detecting the very weak radio frequency waves that come back from our sample that we wish to analyze. These signals are fed through cables back to the console that we see over here. So this is the inside of the nuclear magnetic resonance console. Essentially this generates radio frequency pulses that are fed into the sample via the probe we saw just now and similarly, as I've said, detects the very weak signals that come back from our samples. They are collected here, they are digitized and passed on to our computer for processing to generate the spectra that we use to tell us about the chemical structures that we're analyzing. So here we're about to see some data being collected on the sample that's currently in the magnet and we'll see this come across the screen very shortly. And this is a real radio frequency response coming from the sample. In particular, this is from the hydrogen atoms in the sample that we're studying in this case. So this is a response. This is a real-time data coming back from the sample as we pulse with radio frequency wave and detect the radio frequency signals coming back from our sample. Now, what we need to do to get a spectrum that we can interpret is some mathematical processing of these data to produce a frequency spectrum showing the different components in this particular sample. So this is a typical response we get back from the sample uh, that we're looking at. This shows us a signal for all the hydrogen atoms in the molecules in that particular sample. We can interpret the position and the intensity and the fine structure of these peaks to tell us about the chemical structures that are present in this sample. This is a fairly complex mixture of samples, in fact. This is taken from a biosynthetic incubation where we're following the fate of one particular molecule through a biosynthetic pathway. We can track the outcome of this pathway by looking at the content of the mixture after the incubation has been performed. So NMR spectroscopy is one of the most important tools that chemists have at their disposable for understanding the structures of their chemicals. Without that knowledge, there is no chemistry. The technology itself, in fact, is very similar to what's used by medics in the form of magnetic resonance imaging scanners, MRI scanners, you may be familiar with at hospitals. The technology is similar, they have very intense magnetic fields, they excite you with radio waves and detect the signals from water in your body. Instead of looking at the structure of tissues, as in MRI scanners, we use NMR spectroscopy to look in minute detail at the structures of individual molecules. 
So in the future, we expect NMR spectroscopy to have an enormous impact on the development of new medicines for the betterment of human health.